Well, today we've on this journey, Life of Christ, and if you've been with the weekly uh, study this week, every morning the text messages are revolving around Jesus' teaching where he says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. How I many know it's a lot easier said than done? You know, it's one thing to tell somebody not to worry, but how do you stop? Like, how do you stop? So here's what I want to do today. I want to help you. Uh, my role in Life of Christ is to teach you how to do it. Mark's role, if you watch the videos with Mark, he teaches you what Jesus said, what Jesus meant. My job is to come in and show you how to apply it, how to actually pull it off, how to do it. Last week, we looked at what is biblical repentance, and it's not at all what many of us thought growing up. Very, very different. And in fact, when you repent the right way, it empowers your whole Christian life. I think it's probably one of at least the top five messages I've ever done in my lifetime. So if you did not see last week's message, I would encourage you to go online and watch last week's message. Today, what I want to do is I want to help you defeat worry. How do you actually defeat worry? It's one thing to say, don't worry, but how do you defeat it? How do you stop it? How do you fight against worry and fight effectively where you can actually fight to win the fight? Now, here's what worry is. The word worry means to be torn in two. And anyone that's ever dealt with worry, that's exactly how it feels. That's what anxiety does to us, is it tears us apart. Let me put it like this. Whenever you're dealing with worry, how many of you know your body may be going one direction, but your mind is going a completely different direction? You may be at work, and your body's going through the motions, but your mind is weighed down with all sorts of worry and all sorts of fear and all sorts of heaviness. It just pulls you apart. It's this tension. You can't sleep at night. You don't get to enjoy the moments of life and be present. You can actually be on the most beautiful beach in the world on vacation. And yet, if you're worried about things from work, worried about health, worried about finances, worried about family, sitting on the most beautiful beach in the world, you don't enjoy it. You're not there. You're not present. Your body's physically there, but your mind and your heart are weighed down with worry and heaviness. You could be with your family. You could be on a date with your wife. You could be at the park with your children in one of the most beautiful moments of life that you should be enjoying. And yet when worry is going on, you don't feel it. How many of you, how many of you understand what I'm talking about? How many of you here today would say, I never worried? Like, I've never worried once. There's nothing I worry about. Like, I just, if that's you, you need to come up and teach today and tell us all how you do it. Because all of us struggle with worry. So we've been looking at what Jesus said. Worry works against ourself. It hinders our relationship with God. In Matthew chapter 6, the text we've been studying this week, Jesus says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? How many of you through worry actually expanded your life, like, like, like your lifespan increased because of worry. You're going to live longer because you worried more. Jesus says, that's foolish. So why do you worry, oh, you of little faith? Then he says this, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own thing. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, what I want to help you understand, Jesus is not giving you a command. He's giving you a truth. There, there's a difference. See, so often we look at this as a command. Jesus told me not to worry. I, I can't worry. I can't worry. I can't worry. No, no, no. He's giving you a truth. 
He's saying, don't worry because God's got it. That's a truth. That, 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 that's, a, that's a reality that when you believe in God, when you know who God is, you can relax and you don't have to worry because God's got it under control. I love what Mark said this week. If you sum up all of Jesus' teaching into one word, you take everything Jesus said and you summarize all of his life message into one simple word, you get the word relax. Relax. Our uh, director of outreach, Victoria, a few weeks ago, she was sharing her story of how at the beginning of COVID, she was laid off and woke up expecting to feel the fear and the worry of, of being out of a job. And she goes to her time of prayer, and the first thing she hears from God is, relax, girl, I've got this. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of Jesus. Relax. But Satan's goal is to paralyze us with worry and with fear. You see, here, here's how it works. Worry teams up with your imagination. And then what worry does is it exploits all of your fears and it creates phobias. You know, there's some crazy phobias out there. Now, there are, there are some rational fears because fear is help. Fear can help you from doing some really stupid things in your life. Fear can be healthy. But when you dwell on fear, it becomes worry and turns into a phobia. And what happens is Satan exploits your imagination against you. God gives us this incredible imagination that we should actually use for good. I would challenge you, put it in your calendar 30 minutes a day just to use your imagination to think about all the things that God can do in your life, to dream, to allow the Holy Spirit to show you that He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or imagine. We should use our imagination in partnership with the Holy Spirit over our life. But Satan wants to use your imagination to exploit fear an irrational fear, and create phobias. There's some crazy phobias out there. I was looking at it this week. Here's one of the phobias that I discovered this week. Nomophobia. This is huge in our culture today, especially amongst millennials. Nomophobia is the fear of being without cell phone access. Like your mobile phone, you're in a dead spot. Imagine living in a dead spot, the anxiety of, I can't get a text, I can't get an email, I can't, I can't, I mean, there's serious fear right now amongst millennials with this nomophobia. Here's another great one, phobia-phobia. Phobia-phobia is the fear of getting a phobia. Like, you're afraid that you're going to get a phobia. And so you're afraid of the phobia. Then there's anthophobia. This is one of my favorites. This is the fear of flowers. Like, you're just scared of flowers. You see flowers, and it just freaks you out. Like, something about flowers rubs you. It's like some people with clowns, you're like that with flowers. Here's another good one, abludophobia. Hopefully you are not sitting by anybody with this fear today. This is the fear of taking a shower or a bath. It's the fear of like being clean. You know, you typically smell really bad when you have this fear. Here's a good one, spectrophobia. This is the fear of your own reflection in a mirror or a fear of a mirror. Like you can't, you can't stand seeing yourself in a mirror. <laughs> Here's a really good one right here. Hexacosioi, hexa Contahexapho. How many of you know what this one is? This is the fear of the number 666. <laughs> like the devil's a number. Can I tell you, we don't have to fear the devil. Jesus has already won the victory. We know what the outcome is. We don't have to develop. Hopefully, you don't have this phobia. Uh, and then my personal favorite, hippopotamonstrosa quipapetilophobia. Now, how many of you know what this one is? Anybody? This is the fear of long words. <laughs> like you are terrified of long words. And 
kind of appropriate there. How many of you know fear is unavoidable? You're going, to be, you're going to be tempted with fear in life. It is unavoidable. As long as you live on planet Earth, there is going to be fear. Worry, however, is avoidable. There's a big difference between fear and worry. Fear is unavoidable. Worry is avoidable. You see, fear is the enemy. It's an attack of the enemy. Worry is when I partner with the enemy to fight against myself. You see, fear is the enemy coming against me. Worry is when I team up with the enemy and I help the enemy destroy my life because worry is a choice. Fear is inevitable. Worry is a choice. Satan attacks us with fear and then we choose to worry. Fear and worry are different. Fear is coming against you, but you choose to worry. And here's what happens. Worry paralyzes us. Worry makes it feel like, like you you can't make a decision. You can't, you just feel paralyzed emotionally and spiritually. And then what happens is worry blinds us. We can't see the truth. We can't see anything clearly because we're blinded with worry. Worry gives us amnesia, spiritual amnesia. God has gotten you through so many things in your life in the past, but all of a sudden you've got this worry and you can't remember that God can get you through this and you begin to forget everything God has done because the giant you're facing feels so big. And then what happens is worry makes us lose confidence in God. We forget that God is able. We forget that we can relax. God's got this. I don't, I don't have to carry this worry. See, the truth in life is there are storms, and storms are bad. But the question is, who's in your boat? Think about the disciples. They're out on the Sea of Galilee, and these are experienced fishermen, and a storm wells up that is so ugly and so bad that they fear for their life. Experienced fishermen, terrified for their life. And Jesus is taking a nap in the back of the boat. I love Jesus, because he's in the middle. Everyone's freaking out for their life, and he's asleep. Like he's taking a nap. And the principle there is who's in your boat? If Jesus is in your boat, you don't have to worry about the storm. I can just imagine Jesus getting up, talking to the survivors. He said, guys, 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 look, I know I said that I'm going to die for you, but I didn't say I was going to drown for you. There's a big difference. We're going to be okay. We're going to get through this storm. And then finally what happens is worry stops God's blessings flowing to us. You ever had a, a water hose get a kink in it? All of a sudden, you know, you're watering flowers of the grass, and then the water just stops. It just stops, and you can't figure out because the water's on. The, water, the water's flowing, but it's not coming out. And then you look back, and, and there's a kink in your water hose. That's what worry does to God's blessings in your life. You see, God's blessings are flowing. You're righteous. You're accepted. You're forgiven. God loves you. God has good things for you. But what worry does in your life is it kinks the hose, it doesn't stop the blessings, it just stops them from getting to you because the channel's closed. And that's what worry does in our life. There's going to be difficult times. Jesus never said that you're not going to go through stuff. He simply said that stuff wasn't going to go through you. He promised that we're going to have trouble. And God's first mission in our life is not to stop the trouble. I wish it was. I wish God would just stop the trouble, but his first mission is to build our faith and teach us how to fight fear, how to, how to take control of the situation for him. But I want to help you understand. So 
my mind works is I need something practical. How do we stop worrying? Because it's not enough to tell somebody, don't be afraid. Don't worry about that. Have you ever been like scared of something that's going on in your life? Health, finances, marriage, family members, something's going on, and you had a well-meaning friend tell you, well, just don't worry about that. Well, how, is that the worst piece of advice ever? Like, how do you stop worrying? How do you just tell somebody, don't be afraid. God's, God's got it. Relax. How do you practically do that? I need to know how. It's not enough to give me a pep talk. You're going to have to show me how to do it. And what I want to do is I want to show you today how to defeat fear. This is not a pep talk. This is going to be very, very practical. And the goal is we want to defeat fear before it produces worry. Because again, fear is inevitable. You're going to be tempted with fear. When you dwell on that fear, it becomes worry and it begins to impact your life negatively. So you have a choice to make today. You're going to have fear. Fear is going to come against you. The choice that you have to decide, am I going to defeat fear or am I going to choose to worry? That's your choice. You're either going to learn how to fight fear, you're going to learn how to defeat fear before it gets to worry, or you're going to choose to worry about the fear and allow it to eat you up on the inside. So let's make this very, very practical. The first thing you have to understand if you're going to fight fear is, number one, fear is a spirit. Fear is is a spirit. Just like the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit's not some mystical essence of God, not some, you know, breeze of God. The Holy Spirit is an actual person with mind, will, and emotions. Fear is a spirit. It is a person coming to attack you, coming to fight you. It is very, very real. Paul says to Timothy like this in 2 Timothy 1, God has not given us a spirit of fear. He doesn't say God's not given us the emotion of fear. God's not given us the feeling of fear. Again, fear is not a feeling. Fear is not an emotion. Fear is a spirit come to fight against you. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. So again, let me hammer this down just a little bit deeper. Fear is unavoidable. It is a spirit. You will be attacked. Worry in your life is avoidable. Worry is our imagination. Fear starts as a spiritual being come to fight against you. You know, every demon has the capacity to generate fear in our life. This is the first thing that Satan did to Adam and Eve in the garden. He made them afraid. They began to worry, and all of a sudden they're hiding from God because he got them to believe a lie about who God is which created fear that turned into worry that caused their behavior to run from the very person that loved them the most. Fear is the manifestation of the presence of an enemy in your life. Now, understand that because you can't just give somebody a pep talk when they're dealing with fear. You don't just tell somebody dealing with fear, don't be afraid. Don't worry about that. It's not enough. If that's all you hear when you're fighting the spirit of fear, you're going to be afraid. You need to know exactly what to do. Ever seen one of those great football movies where the team is losing and they go into the locker room at halftime and the coach gives this unbelievable speech and and, and they're all motivated. It's like one of those epic sport movie speeches and they come out of the locker room fired up and they go and they blow out the second half and win the game and it's a great movie. 
Ever seen a movie like that? That's not real. Talk to any coach. Talk to any football player who's ever been down at halftime that came out the second half to blow out the other team. What you'll find is there was no pep talk in the locker room. It was very technical and it was very practical. The special teams got together and they began to look at what they were doing wrong and what they needed to do to improve. The offensive team got together and they began to make some tweaks and make some changes and they began to look at what the other team was doing and how they can come against them, the defensive team. And it was all technical and all practical. And they come out and they blow out the other team because it's not about motivation. It's not about a pep talk. It's about give me something technical. Give me something practical. Put something in my hands for me to fight this battle. Which brings me to the next point. Number two, you can't fight a spiritual battle in the mental arena. You don't fight fear in your head. Because again, it's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a spirit. We don't fight a spiritual battle in a mental arena. Our weapons are not of this world. We don't don't fight in the natural flesh that we are. This is why when I try to motivate somebody out of fear, I'm teaching them how to fight fear at the wrong level. Yes, there is a mental element to fear. There is an emotional feeling to fear, but that's not where you fight the battle. It's not where the battle begins. 2 Corinthians 10 puts it like this, though we walk in the flesh, we've got these human bodies with minds and wills and emotions, we do not war according to the flesh. Our fight isn't in this human body. It's not in this human mind. Our fight is different. It's foolish to try to fight a spiritual enemy in this natural world, just as foolish as it is to try to fight a spiritual enemy in the mental world. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty. What does that mean? Effective. So the word mighty means effective. You can fight fear and win every time. Every time. You don't have to succumb to worry. God will give you a weapon that is mighty. In other words, it works. A weapon where you have the ability to defeat fear every time fear attacks you. They're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. If you've been in our church for a while, you understand what a stronghold is. A stronghold is a lie that we believe in our mind is true. That's what a stronghold is. Remember, Satan can't touch you. Satan can't lay one hand on you. All the devil can do is get you to believe a lie, and if he gets you to believe the lie, you beat yourself up for him. It's called a stronghold. This is what worry is. Worry is believing something that is not true is true. Worry is believing something that hasn't happened yet is going to happen. So what you're doing is you're believing a lie. It hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. You're believing something that is not true, but you're believing it and you're dealing with it as if it's a fact of reality. But this is incredibly dangerous because if you worry about something long enough, you can actually worry it into your life. You can worry something into reality. The Bible's clear on this. In Job, it says, for the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me. See, you got to fight the fight of fear because if you live in worry long enough, what you worry about because your imagination is powerful. God gave you an imagination. We actually, that's why God wants you to use your imagination with faith, not fear. 
You see, when you move your when you when you exercise your imagination with faith, you begin to see things in the spiritual manifest in the natural. But when you exercise your imagination with fear, the same thing can begin to take place. You can worry things into existence. What I dreaded, what I was worried about, has happened to me. God gave you the mind. Satan wants to use your mind against you. So we first we got to learn that that. Fear is a spirit. It's an enemy. It's not a feeling, not an emotion. It's an enemy. It's a spirit. Second, we have to learn how to fight it in the right arena. We fight spirits in a spiritual arena. But thirdly, you're going to have to learn to fight it with the right equipment. Number three, you need a spiritual weapon to fight a spiritual battle. You're going to fight a spiritual battle. You're going to need to use a spiritual weapon. Soldiers have all sorts of equipment for different types of battles. We've got, you know, if you talk to anyone in the military, you've got air equipment, you've got ground equipment, you've got close-range combat, distant combat. There's all different types of fighting in battles. You need to make sure you've got the right equipment for the right fight. Athletes have all different types of equipment used based on the game. I mean, you know, you don't see Phil Mickelson playing the Masters with a baseball bat. He's not going to do very well trying to play golf with a baseball bat. It's the wrong equipment for the wrong sport. So we need to know what is the right weapon to use to fight this battle. Paul says in Ephesians 6, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I love that. God's not telling you to be strong in your might, your ability, your strength. He's saying, I want you to use my strength for this fight. Don't use your strength. Use my strength. I've got all the power you need. I've got all the might you need to win this battle. I want you to, this is grace. I want you to rest in my strength, then fight this battle. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. You know, we say things like this. We just need God's help. What does that mean? We just need God's help. Well, what does that mean? You see, here is God's help. You put on the army. God says, I'm going to give you the strength. I'm going to give you the armor. I'm going to give you the weapons. You have to decide to put it on and take a stand. You've got to put it on. You've got to take a stand. Now, it's his strength, his weapons, his armor, but he's not going to put it on for you. You have to put it on and take a stand against the wiles of the devil. I love the New King James because it's got these old words like wiles. I love the word wiles because it's so accurate to how worry works in our life. Here's what wiles means. A devious or cunning stratagem employed in manipulating or persuading someone to do what one wants. What does the devil want you to do? He wants you to worry. So he employs the strategy of fear in your life to get you to worry. He's manipulating you into believing something that's not true. It's, turn, it's a trick. It turns into a stronghold. He can't beat you, but what he does is he makes you fight against yourself. So how do I use these spiritual weapons? Well, Jesus gives us the example, not just of the weapons, but how to actually use them in battle. And let me say, if anybody could have done this without the armor, without the weapons, it would have been Jesus, right? Son of God, if anyone didn't need the weapons to fight, it would have been Jesus, yet he put them on. And he took a stand against the enemy, and he modeled for us how to use the armor. So let's look at the armor. Go down to verse 17 in Ephesians 6. 
he says, stand, put on the armor to fight the wiles. One of the pieces of armor is the sword of the Spirit. Now remember, the, the enemy is the spirit of fear. Fear is a spirit. If you're going to fight a spirit, you need a spirit weapon. This is an offensive weapon. So the spirit of fear comes and attacks you. God says you have a spirit of fear to go on the offense to fight him back. You have, you have a spirit, the sword of the spirit, to strike down the spirit of fear. And what is the sword of the spirit? The word of God. The word of God. So the spirit of fear comes against you. You're going to be tempted with fear in life. Temptation is not a sin. You're going to be tempted with fear. You have to choose, am I going to fight fear with the sword of the Spirit, or am I going to choose to worry over the fear that just attacked me? And it says, which is the Word of God? Now, let me help you understand this a little bit. The Bible by itself is not the sword of the Spirit. A lot of us believe the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. The Bible is not the sword of the Spirit. The Bible will unleash the sword of the Spirit in your life, but the Bible itself is not the sword of the Spirit. When fear comes against you, you can't just hug your Bible as like a shield. It's not a shield, it's a sword. It's got to be used as a sword. How do we use it as a sword? The Word of God. Now, in the Greek language, there's two Greek words for word. There's the Greek word logos and the Greek word rhema. Logos is the written Word of God. Rhema is the activated or the spoken word of God. The sword of the Spirit is not logos, it's rhema. If you read this in the original Greek language, it says the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema of God. So how do I activate the sword of the Spirit? I take God's word and I speak it out loud. When I take this book and I say it, I don't think it, but I say it out loud, it becomes the sword in my hand. That's how you fight temptation. That's how you fight the spirit of fear. You cannot resist fear mentally. It will not work for you. You can't fight fear in your mind. You fight the fight of faith. And faith is always about activating your tongue. Jesus didn't say you're going to have whatever you believe. He said you're going to have whatever you say. Believing is important. What you believe matters, but Jesus didn't say you'll have whatever you believe. He said you will have whatever you say. Say to this mountain. Where most people fail to operate their faith is not that they don't believe in God, it's that they don't say anything. Their tongue never activates God's word to go on their behalf. This is going to be very practical and technical, I said. Unfortunately, many of us today have never been taught this. We weren't taught the power of declaring God's word. Let me show you how Jesus used this sword against the devil. Luke Chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted. So again, even Jesus was tempted. Temptation is not sin. You're going to be tempted. Just because you're tempted does not mean you fell into sin. You have to choose what to do with the temptation. Am I going to stand against it, or am I going to choose to dwell on it, worry about it? He was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. He hadn't eaten anything in 40 days. This could have messed him up. It could have killed him. His body could have gone in shock. 
by just kind of coming out of a fast with, 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 with a big meal, like a piece of bread or whatever it was. I know, I've done it before. I did a 21-day water fast my first time. I ended the water fast with a big pizza. It didn't feel good for a week. I don't advise that. Now it's like soup for a few days and then some vegetables for a few days because it, it, was, it was a bad experience. I know what this is like. Now, I want you to see how Jesus fights this temptation. So Satan is coming to him, tempting him, tempting him. What does Jesus do? He answers, it is written. He's not thinking this. He's saying it out loud. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. That's Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. What did Jesus just do? He used the sword of the Spirit. He took the Bible. He declared it out loud. And what did Satan do? He moved on to a new temptation because he realized this temptation was not going to work. Satan took the sword, or Jesus took the sword, and he struck down the temptation with God's word. He cut it down. Now, Jesus was very, very skilled at this. Jesus only had to say it once. I mean, no, we're still learning. Like, like we're not... Jesus was advanced in his faith. We're still growing in our faith. He only had to say it one time. Sometimes I got to fight a fight of faith for a few days, sometimes a few weeks where I'm declaring this all day long, whatever. There is a verse for every attack that Satan brings against you. Whether it's a spirit of fear, whatever it is, there is a verse that you can stand on, that you can hold on to. And sometimes I've got to quote it all day long. It's a fight. It's not like a one-time thing like Jesus. He was skilled. One time, Satan moved on. We sometimes have to fight because fear will come back to test us. We just have to learn to use the tools that are available to us. Because again, many people are trying to fight battles using the wrong weapons. Let me give you an example. When the spirit of fear comes at you, I've seen many people who will come to me as a pastor, or they'll even do this on their own, and they'll use the weapon of prayer to fight the spirit of fear. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is an amazing weapon, but it's the wrong weapon for that fight. That's not the way. We, we need an offensive. When you need guidance, when you're wrestling with the decision, when you need to see God's will on something, prayer is incredibly powerful. There's different types of prayer, but sometimes you're under direct attack and you need an offensive weapon. You need a sword to fight off the attack. So when fear comes, we don't pray, oh God, please take the fear away, take the fear away, take the fear away. God is saying, pull out your sword. I've given you what you need. All you got to do is put on the armor and stand firm against this wile, against this trick, against this attack. There's a sword for every challenge that you face. Think about it like this. If you've got to cut a two by four, are you going to use a butter knife or a chainsaw? They'll both get the job done. One's just going to take a lot longer. Like you can fight fear with prayer. It's just going to take a lot longer to deal with it than just pulling out a sword and dealing with it. You can pull out the sword of the spirit and go to town. Think about a guy in our church about a year and a half ago, his business was under attack. He was being, there was a, 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 a wrong lawsuit that came against him, some false accusations, and he was about to lose his entire business, and yet he faithfully tithed for years, faithfully put God first in the tithe, 
for years. And as I began to talk to him and, and pray with him about this lawsuit coming against him, he said, God's given me a word. He's given me a word to stand on, a, a sword that I can fight this attack with. And it was Malachi 3.11. It's a promise that God gives to people who tithe. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. He said, I just feel like the Holy Spirit has spoken to me that he's going to guard me from these insects and these disease, these lawsuits that are trying to destroy my livelihood, that are trying to destroy my business. Business. And it wasn't looking good. And he just, he pulled this out and he used this sword daily for weeks until the whole situation began to turn around. Let me give you an Old Testament example because sometimes it, I wish like Jesus, I could like just one time and it like it would go away forever. Sometimes I got to fight. Sometimes I got to stand firm. Sometimes the battle rages on throughout the day. There's a picture of this in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 23. After him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men. The mighty men were King David's special forces out of his army. When they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. But this one guy, Eleazar, it says he rose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The muscles of his hand cramped and contracted where he could not open his hand. and He fought all day long holding the sword that by the end of the day, the sword was stuck. This is a picture of where we should be. Satan comes against us. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hold on to this sword. We're going to fight. We're going to hold on to it to the point where our hand freezes to God's word, the sword. But what this shows us is sometimes some battles are going to be longer than others. Jesus only had to say it once. Some of us need to fight the battle all day long. And then what I love, it says, the Lord brought about a great victory. So let me ask you a question. So, so Eleazar fights all day and his hand clings to the sword. Who won the victory, Eleazar or God? They both did. They both had a part to play. The Lord brought about the victory, but Eleazar still had to hold on to the sword. He still had to fight. See, what this means is God won't fight if you don't fight. God is motivated out of faith, not fear. Faith moves the heart of God. So let me put it like this. I heard someone say it. Without him, we cannot. Like, I can't do anything without God. I need his strength. I need to be completely reliant on his grace, on his power, on his mercy. But without us, he will not. We've got to put on the armor. We've got to take up the sword. Now, it's his strength. It's his weapons. This book is powerful. What's amazing is when you use this book, all of the words of this book are supernatural. And when you activate this book with your tongue and you begin to speak things out loud, what happens is your ears hear it. Faith comes by hearing. God wants to strengthen you and build up your faith. He just needs to borrow your tongue to do it. We need to get in the habit of believers as reading God's word out loud every day. Our ears need to hear God speak to us out of our mouth. God wants to use your mouth to speak to you. He wants to use your mouth to build and strengthen your faith. And this is incredible because what happens is fear, fear starts in our head as a temptation. Satan wants to get it into your heart. What you have to do is you got to make sure it gets off the elevator at the second floor. You see, the fear is up here. 
And Satan's trying to get it to move down here to your heart because where, where do you feel worry? Your heart. You don't worry in your head, you worry in your heart. I know we think we worry in our head, but why does your heart feel so heavy when you worry? Why does it impact your health negatively when you worry? So how do we get worry out? Second floor, the elevator, we got to speak God's word. we got to let worry out of the elevator. we got to make sure that it doesn't get from my head, that's a temptation, to my heart. That's why what you say is so powerful into what you believe and what you think. If you're with us this summer, Psalm 91, King David put it like this. This is fascinating. This is incredible psychology here. He says, I will say, I'm going to open my mouth, I'm going to activate my tongue, and I'm going to say, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God. Look at the byproduct. Then I'm going to trust him. What do I trust? What I say. What I say is what I trust. This is why it's important to speak God's word every day, because the more you speak God's word out loud, the more you trust it, the more it strengthens your faith, the more it builds you up, the more it positions you to fight out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Don't raise your hands, but let me ask you a question. How many of us practice scripture memorization every week? You didn't have to ask that 20 years ago to Christians, because everybody did it. It was just part of the Christian life. We got God's word into our heart because we knew we were going to fight battles and we needed God's word in our heart because there's going to be times where I'm attacked and I need to pull out a sword. Are we getting God's word in our heart? Because we've got to protect our heart. You don't want the fear to take the elevator of worry into your heart. Talk to any doctor. They'll tell you that anxiety and worry produces all sorts of unhealthy medical reactions in your physical body. The Bible understands this. This is why Solomon says, guard your heart. Guard it. Get it out of the elevator on the second floor. Don't let that worry get down to your heart. Get it out. Speak God's truth over the reality of your situation. Guard your heart because the source of your life flows from it. The source of your emotional life, your spiritual life, your physical life, it all comes out of your heart. You've got to guard your heart. Let me, let me close with this just very simple, how this worked in our family last year. About a year and a half ago, my son, 12-year-old son, was having some nightmares. In the middle of the night, he'd come into our room, he'd wake me up and, and says, I, I can't sleep, I'm having one of these night terrors again. And I'll be very honest with you, I didn't fully understand this at the time. I had to call one of my pastors and get some advice and get some help because I was using the wrong weapon. My son will come into my room and I say, well, let me pray for you. God bless him. God give him peace. God let him sleep. Nothing wrong with prayer. But we were fighting with the wrong weapon. I had a pastor help me understand this concept. And so what I did is I had my son memorize that passage, 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us the spirit of fear. We underlined it in his Bible, and we kept his Bible right on his nightstand. And I told him, next time you have this night terror, next time you have a nightmare, I want you to open your Bible, I want you to quote this verse out loud, and then go back to sleep. Your, your ears need to hear your tongue say this. You need to say it. Don't, don't just read it. Don't just think it. Say it out loud. Activate it. He never came into our room again to wake me up. To this day, he hasn't had another nightmare. Why? I gave him the right weapon to fight the right battle. 
telling you, this book is supernatural. This book is powerful. You're going to need a sword. There's going to be plenty of opportunities for you to worry this week. Plenty. Get you a sword. One of the ones I'm hanging on to right now is First Peter 5, 7. Get all, give all your worries and cares to God. It's not my responsibility to deal with that. Tis. He cares about me. I don't have to carry that around. That's not mine. That's his. Give it to him. He wants it. He cares about me. I don't have to carry that anymore. It's power when you learn how to fight right. God has given you every weapon you need to fight the enemy. Every weapon to live in victory, to be an overcomer, to conquer, to not be beaten up by every little fear that comes your way. You know, I heard someone say the other day, uh, was it Daniel in the lion's den or were there a group of lions in Daniel's den? It's all in how you look at it. It's how you look at the situation. When you know God is on your side, when he's given you every weapon to fight with, you can be confident in the weapons if you know how to use them. Like if you're skilled with certain weapons, then you have a lot of confidence in battle because you know how to use the weapons. Let's learn how to use these weapons. Let's get God's word in our hearts so that we can stand against the spirit of fear and the spirit of temptation and all these attacks from the enemy and we can begin to declare God's word out loud. God wants to fight with you, but you have to stand, put on the armor and activate it with your tongue. This is the technical process of how to not worry. Because again, telling you don't worry, come on, it's not going to work. But if you can learn to quote God's word when temptation comes at you and fear comes at you, you're going to see something different beginning to take place. Your faith is going to rise up. Your faith is going to grow. And you're going to see a new confidence, a new spiritual tenacity. And you're going to begin to walk in a victory that you didn't know you could walk in because of his word.